Banking with Life highlights. For the newcomer, the newly exposed to the infinite banking concept, from whatever realm, it's dang near always defaults down to the rate of return. And then the argument is like, well, the agent just wants to get paid a commission, and so they're going to de-emphasize the rate of return in a whole life policy because it's only going to be 2% or whatever it is. And it's always, I can earn this much elsewhere doing whatever I'm doing or whatever I want everybody else to do. At the end of the day, it's who's controlling the banking function, period. And then you're going to finance these things anyway. Oh, wait a minute. Your capital must reside somewhere. Where should it reside? And it should be the akin of a primary residence. Like I live in Alvarado, Texas. From Alvarado, Texas, at one time I could travel anywhere in the world to take advantage of an opportunity, whether it's business or pleasure. And when I've had my fill or I'm finished, the schedule's over, I'm going to return home because that's my primary place of residence. Your capital is no different. And the more you abdicate control over your capital and your cash flows, um, you know, you're gonna reap those rewards and the results of that. And somebody else is gonna profit, by the way. And let me go back <clears throat> to um, Nelson, you know, and you read his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. If you haven't read the book, you shouldn't even have a conversation about the infinite banking concept, period. And if your friends or your family, your colleagues haven't read Nelson's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, and his second book, Becoming or Building Your Warehouse of Wealth, you shouldn't even have the conversation. That's why your phone call lasted 20 minutes with somebody who heard the word life insurance and whatever else they heard and wanted to, you know, pick your brain. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah, no, thank you. I've, I'm, like, I'm working with fabulous clients all day long. I do not have time to educate at the base fundamental level whenever you won't read a 92-page book. And these hucksters and promoters that say, oh, here, we practice the infinite banking concept and you don't have to read anything. By all means, if you're attracted to that, get on it. Get to it, right? But if you want to know the truth and you want to vet this idea, then you need to read Becoming Your Own Banker. Right. And oh my gosh, this channel has made it very easy to continue your education or to weed out some of the things that you suspect are not true or to reaffirm or confirm some of the things you suspect that might be true. I'm sitting in the parking lot and it was in April. I had been practicing the infinite banking concept for about four years. Mm-hmm. And I had to write a check to Uncle Guido, Uncle Sam. So he's not really a family member. He's that uninvited partner that's in your life, you know. And so I'm writing a honking check to the IRS because I pay my taxes. And it just dawned on me that that should have been a premium first. I I should have taken a loan against policies that I had owned and paid premium into to pay that. Now, I had, at that time, I had already, you know, uh, did uh, me- medical deductibles, dental, credit cards, automobiles. It's not like I was sleepwalking, right? <clears throat> but it was just such a, a large amount that I had to pay to Uncle Sam, and it just should have been a premium first. And I always equate it to like a guy shaving. You know, every day you shave. And then four years into it, you're like, oh my gosh, there's a nose on my face. Mm-hmm. Plain as is day. How did I miss that? Um, and then if I continue, we should all be saving, quote unquote saving. And I know that saving gets a bad term, a bad rap, cash is trash, and all of these negative things. 
But you need access to capital. And how many gatekeepers do you want between you and capital? Mm. Just tell me. Uh, and if you don't want any, you should be building cash, capital, where you have control and you have access. And that should be a lifelong habit. Uh, don't This idea of saving money up and big piling up a big you know, pile of cash and then spending it down in retirement is hogwash. Right, you should the people my clients I've done this a long time as they age and they retire they don't change the way they live mm-hmm. and they shouldn't mm-hmm. right if you've been a saver your whole life you're going to continue to be a saver and you're going to be the example that I always encourage you to be because people are paying attention whether you know it or not so that cash flow of savings is exactly that some people put it in IRAs 401ks or their real estate investment or whatever it is they do there's a cash flow in all right, and now if that cash flow is a premium, and it should be, right? That is what that cash flow is. Now, if I have capital that I can collateralize, it's no different than a guy saving a for four hundred one k or whatever. I don't want to just beat up qualified plans because I don't mean to do that. I'm just saying that somebody's diligently saving, and if you're not, you should. Okay, but if you're diligently piling up saving money somewhere does not mean that you're not spending money and borrowing money, you're not using a credit card, you're not financing automobiles or whatever it is, these major purchases you're financing. So I hope that helps. You should be saving money somewhere and you should continue enjoying the life that you live. You know, one of the unfinished works that Nelson and I were talking about before he graduated, you know, there's three or four books that we had read and he had read, and you're like, James, you gotta read this, you gotta read that. and. And, uh, and I've talked about it before. I spoke on it, it was about World War One, you know, and then my discovery of Eustace Mullins and his writings and his work and his mentor, Ezra Pound. Um, and, and I want to get to this point, history and this narrative that we are born into unwittingly. And, and it takes us, you know, a long time to figure out. It's like, wait a minute, this game is rigged and it's not for me. And I've been lied to my whole dang life. All right. I just want to go back to World War One, okay? Now, you know you cannot have a world war without a central bank. Cannot be done. Mm-hmm. All right, so mere months after the Federal Reserve was created in 1913, World War One started. And this narrative, this 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 revisionist history, is really what it is. It's almost reversed, right? What we're taught as history is not true. I mean, hundred percent. Like 90% of the time. <laughs> Okay. All right. How do you get these young men from all over the world, Germany, Belgium, Russia, Australia, Canada, the UK, the United States, how do you get these young men that they didn't have radio, World War One, right? 1914 is when it broke out, all right? How do you get these young men from all over the world to travel hundreds or thousands of miles away when the average all-American farm boy never moved, never traveled more than 40 miles away from his farm. How do you get the parents to buy all in and send these young men overseas to shed their blood for the, the Hun, the German, who was going to attack us at any time? Then they didn't have the ability so, I mean, it's a legitimate question. And my point here, and this is what I discovered for myself, is that these men from that late 1800s were, they were born, they were educated, they grew up in this idea, this construct 
that the Germans were bad. All right. And then, like Ezra Pound, you know, he did the cantos, and but he's he seen his friends coming home from World War One, right? And if they came home, you know, and then they were maimed and. And he's like, hmm, how about Smedley Butler? All bankers, all wars are bankers' wars. I'm just saying, Ezra Pound seen what was going on. He's like, oh, he, he's the one that encouraged Eustace Mullins to, to, to go to the National Archives and, and study the history of the Federal Reserve. In 1950, he printed a book called The Secrets of the Federal Reserve in 1952, I believe. Right from good old-fashioned elbow grease and hard work, going to the documents, right, and getting history. Okay. Um, Ezra Pound sees all this going on and then Ezra Pound is on Radio uh, Europe I think out of Italy when World War II was being stoked up and he was saying hey you know this is not the construct what you're being told is not the truth and then he was ostracized and my whole point here is that this narrative that we're surrounded in that we're born into um, it's like the Truman Show you know, you get up every day is the same. It's like there's something going on. I might be being manipulated. And then, which also I want to make a point that, that I've thought about a couple of times since we really, or we talked about the white coat investor. That guy who wrote that in that commentary, I don't remember if it was the first article or the second article, you know, trying to disparage anybody who promotes the idea of the infinite banking concept that you can become your own banker. There was a, a, a little innuendo and there was a direct, it wasn't even an innuendo, it was a, it was a straightforward punch, left-handed. It was like, most of these people are also conspiracy theorists, <laughs> you know, that practice or promote the infinite banking concept. And I'm saying, well, yeah, maybe, maybe they're students of history. We did a, we did an episode, uh, I can't remember what it was, uh, White coding, but a misdiagnosis of IBC, a two part right. thing. Ryan Griggs and I did on uh, the white coat investor, and I've mentioned it, but I'm not in those episodes. But this guy was disparaging the infinite banking concept, right? What's new? What's original there? But uh, he says that the people that that practice this are typically they're also conspiracy theorists. You know, what a compliment! <laughs> I like to say we're students of history. That's exactly it. If you don't have a certain level of skepticism, right? Uh, if you're not a certain level of incredulous about your government, you have not. You just simply haven't looked at history. Right. That's about all it is. Right. You know, one big distraction is, is the division currently, you know, within our, our country. And I, I call it a, uh, it's a psyop. You know what I mean? It's a psyop. But I no call it a a where's Waldo psyop. Because if I told you, James Nethery, hey, look at this photo, you know, this busy photo, this where's Waldo portrait. Find me the dog that's lifting its leg on the fire hydrant. You're no longer going to see that portrait. You're going to go zoom in, right? You're zooming in your perspective to go search for the dog on the fire hydrant. And that's exactly what's happening to us. So we're told that we're victims of not the banking system, but we're victims of this person, our fellow American, or this person, this color. Guess what? Now we zoomed in and we lose perspective completely at who's really oppressing us, who's really been victimizing us for 
decades. And it frustrates me to see, I'm a Christian, and it frustrates me to see a lot of Christians not thinking that this is not war. Mm. And it is. This is war. Well, these are our brothers and sisters that haven't read history. Yes, but we need to not be so um, passive in that, uh, you know, for instance, I was in the military, right? So let's say if I'm at war, I'm in a battle, and instead of holding my post, fighting the enemy, engaging the enemy, I pull out my phone and I wire transfer all my funds to them and then go out and let myself get captured. That's the T word. That's treason, right? That's not good. I feel like a lot of Christians are unknowingly doing exactly that by continuing to participate in this banking system. And that's, that's heavy right there. That is. But you talk about the horrible things that happen in this world, things that we don't even know, right? There's people born that we don't even know are born, right? Within these certain circles, where does that funding come from, you know? The, the guy who had the island, the private island. Where's this funding come from? You yeah. see where it comes from. Deutsche Bank and all this nasty stuff. So as Christians, we got to, and I don't know, preach to the choir here. We got to wake up. We got to f- engage the enemy by getting off of their their system. You know, I look at what's going on with the, uh, the uh, COVID. You look in the markets, you look around the world and what the central banks are doing and the governments are doing around right. the world. And and it's like the people are have been and they're showing signs of psychological abuse. It's like the Stockholm Absolutely. syndrome. You know, the abused really um, um, not deifies, but looks up to the abuser. You know, and, right. and become dependent and okay being dependent upon the abuser. It's, it's. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but, you know, I've been around people a long time and like people and I'm observant. I can, I just, my heart goes out to them. But I think that, that uh, well, what I have done is I never was a big fan of using the word terminology Karen anyway. Right. But and now I would never use Karen. I call them Cindy's. They're Stockholm Syndrome. They're Stockholm Cindy's, you know. <laughs> right, uh, right. There are agents who will do what they're told. There are agents who, if, you know, someone who has made mistakes with policies in the past, who is eager to make them again, if they want to go and get an illustration so that they can plug it into their Excel sheet and satisfy their curiosity without regard to a lot of the things that we talked about with the Florida example, there are people out there who will do that. And, you know, it's kind of like you're going to get bypass surgery and you're going to teach the heart surgeon how to do his job. Well, if you want that, I'm sure there's doctors in the Philippines or nothing against <laughs> the Philippines, you know. I'm sure there's doctors fly by night, people who may have may or may, or may not have passed their medical exams to get their license. I don't I'm, know. I'm sure you can get that done, you know. But then there's other uh, doctors, other heart surgeons uh, who will politely kindly say well no we're, we're gonna do this instead and this and, is why and here's why uh and and that's if we want to continue with the procedure then that's what we're gonna we're do we're not and, gonna do this you know? and here's why but if you want to train somebody to do what you and this is the other thing too he kept going on well i'm thinking of getting his license you know i really like your business i really understand oh, your yeah. model sure you do <laughs> okay and oh my gosh and so if you 
if you want that, you can go get it, right? But it's not here. It's not with me. And I'm kind of over, you know, this has happened a lot in my life, like in mock trial in high school. It's like I didn't understand like why certain, there was a, there was a way that people were presenting arguments and it was very just scripted and unappealing. And it was like they were reading for, I didn't like that. So I did my own thing, a very improvisational and very successful. But that was weird. People didn't like me for it. You know, it's like, really? oh yeah. And then. Too much individuality for them? Uh, I mean. Well, and then forcefulness. I mean, I'm kind of charismatic you know as it comes off passionate and it is and it, you know that's like it could be intimidating it I makes people go huh oh. you know so there was that and then <clears throat> uh, then you're tall you know yeah well then in college so, both both undergrad and postgrad in economics you know you start to discover that everything that passes for economics and conventional American higher education is crap. Uh, I mean, 98%. Wow, that's a broad there. stroke there, Mr. Griggs. It's a, there's a lot of canvas to cover. <laughs> so, you know, you know there's, oh, you know, and yeah. then I develop an understanding of Austrian economics that I became very passionate and knowledgeable about. And, but even within those circles. There's some, there's some really good stories behind that yeah. thing we're not talking about. Yeah. I mean, Maybe very interesting. And so that, that was, you know, I started to, you know, bump elbows with people and get, and then come to find out that wasn't a good fit either. And then here I am now in finance and getting deeper and deeper into infinite banking, dividend paying whole life, becoming your own banker and starting to see the way that the rest of the, not starting now, by now, it's fully aware of the way the rest of the, the industry, not the rest, but a lot of the rest of the industry works. And, you know, I'm over it. I'm over the apologizing. I'm over feeling bad about it. It's like, no, no. And if I have to not say names or if I have to not name companies or whatever to avoid the complaints, to avoid the whining, well, then so be it. Because at the end of the day, it's not about specific individuals or ideas. Or, I mean, about individuals or companies or any of that. It's about whether or not what we do is optimal for the purposes of the infinite banking concept in order to do what Nelson taught. That's it. For if, you, the individual. Yeah. And if that yeah. irritates people, then, you know, I, I, I guess I'm irritating the right folks. <laughs> well, it'll be the first time in your lifetime that you started irritating people, right? Uh, yeah. what I'm <laughs> <laughs> you, think, you think I'd get the, get the picture here. <laughs> yeah. Had some practice. You know, you get over my, my tolerance and my pain, and I, I really think I'm a patient guy. Uh, and it depends on who you talk to. I get it. <clears throat> and I'm one of the nicest guys I know. I tell my wife that often, and she repeats it often. <laughs> you <laughs> have to to <laughs> work it into the memory. <laughs> um, my tolerance level gets low, and my patience gets low whenever the same things keep reoccurring over and over. Yeah. When <clears throat> there is so much information out there that's available at no charge, specifically on this channel, Banking Rule. I cannot speak and I do not speak for any other organizations. I don't speak for any life insurance companies I'm affiliated with, I support, and I'm a member of many organizations. I do not speak for any of them. I speak for myself, James Nethery, okay? Just a disclosure. Um, it gets trying whenever you see, when you discover from an agent's perspective, how the insurance industry operates, how the financial world operates, how they have trained the consumer to think and to purchase. 
And I'm not saying it's all bad. I am just saying that the way they train consumers to shop, the way they train agents to promote and sell their products, um, it gets old. It gets trying. It causes the patients to go down. My lovely wife and I went shopping for she was going to buy a new couch. And I just happened to see this on the showroom floor. In this particular place, everybody had their little T-shirt on or their collared polo shirt and their name tag right there. And greeting at the door was like, hi, my name is so-and-so. I am not a commissioned salesperson. Oh. And I said, well, I would like to talk to the commission salesperson. <laughs> and she said, well, no, we don't have one here. And I'm like, well, you're, you're being boastful and prideful of that. Like, that's a, a, an attribute. Yeah. And she's like, yes. And I'm like, well, I don't agree with that. I would rather talk to a commission salesperson. Blew her mind. She was 19 or 20, whatever. She had, what? Mm. Okay. So I'm just saying that the connotation that commission is bad. Well, that implies you're working for free. Right. Right? I'm like, oh, it's not a commission. It's a salary or an hourly wage or a distribution. You know, most people's understanding of life insurance is based on somebody else's misconception. So you take these ideas that the life insurance salesman is bad, commissions are bad, and, that, you know, it's your own money, you're borrowing, you're paying interest to borrow your own money. And if you die, the evil company keeps your cash value. So why can't we get over this idea of... Uh, or, or, you know, just narrowing down life insurance to interest rates, dividend scales, commissions, and death benefit. Who is performing the banking function in your life? Who controls the banking function in your life? And you can't jump over that. You can it's discount. the question. I said before, it is the question. That is the question, period. And so, listen, while the third-party lender's throwing out money at 0% interest or half a percent, I seen an advertisement the other day, you can get a 30-year mortgage for 1.99, right? Well, listen, young Mr. Griggs, how much of your money will you loan me at 1.99? Because I will borrow every single penny Mm -hmm. at 1.99. Right. Well, when there's never a problem, there's never a problem. You tell me, are interest rates going to remain low forever? Nope. I mean, they can't. Can't. Okay. So, this idea that 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 life insurance is a bad thing because somebody gets a commission, I see that over and over. You have a contractual right to collateralize that while it's compounding. What What's so difficult about that? (laughs) I mean. You, maybe you have enough money or capital to do everything in life that you want to do, and you'll never be beholden to the third-party lender. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.